Alright, three, two, one. Welcome to another Stoned Apes podcast. We're another motherfucker. We're down a motherfucker. Yeah, we are we are down to two motherfuckers today, not three motherfuckers. So you're stuck here with the Reverend and the Professor, and hopefully we'll put you together, uh, put together a good show for you guys today. So how you been, brother? Hanging in there. It's been a day for sure. Oh my god, right? It's been a, day for it's sure. been a week, hasn't it? This first week, I mean, it's been a good week, but it has been uh, yeah, not it's without been its week, challenges, sure. right? It's that, it's that full moon week, man. It's that full moon energy just kind of popping oh, off. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? I, I you know, I, I don't know a whole lot about astrology, but I know just enough to know that some of the connections with 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 similarities between when people are born um michelle's youngest son maddox is a pisces and the amount of personality similarities that me and him share just being pisces is really uncanny considering i share more personality traits with him in some ways than i do my own children right and it's and it's all based on astrological signs so i feel like to, to some degree, you have to. Yeah, and I look at that like it's patterns, right? We have there a bunch of people just recorded and saw these patterns in like the alignment of the stars and how people can respond to them. It's just and whether that be because you were born in like the the energetical poles and whatever of how that connects to you. You know, and it, in a way, if you really dig it down all the way deep into it, it, we are stardust anyway. Why wouldn't it, the universe affect us? Right. You know? Yeah, I need to jump on. I'm going to go ahead and smoke some of the Screaming Eagle with you. Okay. So, um, I figured I'll do that, and that way we can break it in right. Um, so, with the... With that and the full moon and things, I just like if the moon can literally affect the water on our planet and how it ebbs and flows around our planet, and that's right. a proven scientific fact. Why do you think it doesn't? Why would people think it wouldn't affect how us in that kind of way? Oh, agreed, hundred percent. You know, our environment impacts us so much naturally, and, and that ties in perfectly to what I'm going to talk about today. So the the audience doesn't know this yet, but. Once I'm done smoking this joint, I'm going to give my first sermon okay. of the podcast. I'm not going to do that very often, I don't think, but every once in a while, I get kind of preachy, and uh, this is going to be one of those good moments, I think. We're hope. We're hope. Okay. Man, we're going to hope for a good moment, just see how it turns out. But anyway, so man, while we're waiting, last night was a wild ride, wasn't it? That was... Dude, Probably, like a very the hard hell? interaction, but a f- like I don't want to say fun, but entertaining, eye-opening, um, very. Uh, and it was I think it was good to set that intention for us so early in the year, so early like to have to be able to like set our boundaries and say no, this is what we're about as a team. This right. is what we're gonna represent. So we're not going to play that. So can I tell the audience about the scenario a little bit? We'll just leave out names and stuff. Yeah, we'll right, do. But. We'll do. But I can talk about our gym, right? Right. Okay. So for the audience, what happened last evening is we had a. Uh, so if you guys haven't figured it out by now, we do martial arts. 
Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, the professor here is the owner of 10th Planet Crystal City. And for those that are aware with what 10th Planet Jiu Jitsu is, I don't think that needs any introduction. And um, I've been coaching at Eric's gym for about eight months now. And uh, we had some visitors last night looking for some fight. They were their fighters looking for a new gym, right? They wanted new coaching staff, right? And to kind of paint the picture for you guys, this is no different than recruiting for any other sport, right? We are coaches. And when we have, we have a game plan, we have a philosophy, we have things yeah. that go into our, our strategy of playing the sport that are specific to us, right? right? That's why we're partnered together. And when a fighter comes in to try out, so to speak, or to want a coaching staff change, then what they're trying to do is scout those potential coaches and to find hopefully a match, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Last night we had a weird situation where the fighter wasn't looking for a match. The fighter and his significant, you know, his his, uh, his counterpart, um, they were wanting us to adapt our system to fit them, essentially. And right. then got upset with us when we explained that we didn't think they were a good fit for our team. Yeah. And it's no, like... It's not, not, we didn't say they weren't a good fit for well, our team. We said that they needed For to, the coaching staff. Yeah, for yeah. us, like, okay, and, they came in well, with a pre-booked fight. Yeah, and wanted us to train them for this pre-booked fight. Well, and, and I think that I'll clarify that statement too. Look, membership at the gym and being a fighter for the gym is two completely different memberships. You, yeah. can, you can be the right person for the, for the gym to train. Mm -hmm. And then you, if you're going to be a fighter, those two things may not be the same. There are a lot of people that, that yeah. train that aren't going to be fighters. Right. And so, you know, I looked, that's why I used the basketball example with you last night. If, you, if I'm a basketball player, even if I'm super talented, and I show up at, uh, I show up at a program, let's say I want to go play for the University of Kentucky, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden the coach is like, hey, look, I don't fit their program. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad basketball player. It just means that I'm not a match for the program. Maybe I need to go to Georgetown or Duke or somebody who plays a little bit different ball that's going to work for me, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's all that happened last night. Right. Right. But what did we get in return? <laughs> slack and flack. And, oh, my God. You know, but I'm, and see, that's the thing is I'm not against people. Like, if they want to come in and put hard work in and put a solid year under their belt, then let's, let's go. Let's move on. Let's, let's run. Like, we, oh, you want to get as many fights in back to back to back to back. Okay. Give me a solid year of training. Mm -hmm. And then let's go take Yeah. On. What did that guy say? He'd been training for what? Three months four months, something like that, or only doing stand-up for three or four months, and he's already had two MMA fights? One. One. Now he's getting ready to go to the second one. He's already fast-tracking to the UFC, he said. And it's like, that's the whole problem with this entire market, is, you know, fine, you want to fight next month? Let's do that. Let's go to some point Muay Thai tournaments. Let's go do some jiu-jitsu competitions. Let's develop our skills as a fighter first. Then, when we're competent in all areas, then we can sit down and we can start fighting mixed martial arts because that's what that's supposed to be. Yeah. The problem is, is amateur mixed martial arts is nothing more than backyard street brawling. And yeah. the exact word used last night multiple times by those people were brawlers. You know, I, I just don't understand the philosophy there well, of why. I, and to try to use that, like, oh, well we're, well, we're strong and we're intimidating and we're about the fight and we got the dog in us. We have grit as a selling point. It's like, you know who else has grit? 
is the 32-year-old mom who's actually repping, who's actually sweating, who's actually dying on the mats. Well, let's just assume. She's got grit. Right. Doesn't mean she's going to go in and fight. Right. You know? Truth. And, like, anybody can have grit. It's, what are you going to do with it? That's the thing. Right. And are you going to do it technically, or are you going to do it half-assed? you going to do it the right way? Are you going to... And that's that's what I told I told um, the fighter. He texted me, and I'm like, look, I don't... I, I can see you being good. I can see you doing it. But I will help you along the way as long as we're doing it the right way. Right. Well, and it's the thing, too. You know, your discipline's a little bit different than mine. But there's still variations in catch wrestling and other types oh, yeah. of jiu-jitsu, right? right? There is a difference. There's a reason why 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu is 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu. We are our own brand, right? right? Absolutely. So, you know, I understand that there's variations, and that's where I was at it with him. It wasn't even about, like, whether he's right or wrong. He could very well win a fight. It's the point is, is why wouldn't you want to pursue one to be the best technically that you can be, just for the, for the sake of making winning easier, right? Or two, even if you feel you are being the best at what you could be, which may be what the, they were representing last night, if it's stylistically something that I cannot coach or don't want to coach, right. then why would you want to force my hand? Why would you want to adapt yourself to a system that obviously isn't compatible with you? Right. I never said I was better. Mm. I just said I was different, too different. Right, and that's you know, and that's the thing too. Like, and again, if he wants to come in and train and learn and do these things, where he can start learning and adapting to, where if the fighter and you could find a relationship to where you guys can communicate and build that relationship, then in the future, who knows what the future can hold, right? And that's what I said. Like, listen, we don't have a relationship. You're coming in off the street saying you want me to Mm -hmm. do this, 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 and this for almost for free, right? Almost for free. Yeah, well, and we should talk about that, too. Like, for the audience at large, you know, coaching is something that you do full-time as a passion. something that I do part-time. But this is a serious investment of labor and physical energy, right? And, and $100. dollars and, and, like, I spend hours not just off, like, on the mat with you. I'm off the mat researching and dedicating my time to specific individuals. Like, how am I going to make them better? Right. How do I build a plan for this specific person? Yeah. I'm putting X, like, there's more to it than there's those phone calls. There's those talking about your life problems at home with your family. Like, it's not just on the mat. It's, right. When I'm a coach, it's, I'm in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it's not just, like, you're getting my all. Right. And I'm not going to not give my all. And there's a huge amount of people around me that deserve my all because they pay, one, financially support me and my family to live this dream. Right. Two, put in the work and the effort to show me that they want it. So why would I take away from them to give to somebody else because what? They're gonna they're gonna go to the UFC? Like that's not like off of one amateur fight. You know how many people I know that's won one amateur fight? Yeah, if you're out there in the audience and, and you know you my my professional opinion if you're looking at fighting mixed martial arts and you're a gifted athlete and you're super tough, then invest in yourself, find the right trainers, and then put in some time before you developing your skill before you start damaging your body. Absolutely. I think that's the part that people are missing. 
Because they're going to, well, I'm going to develop my skill along the way because I developed these physical attributes and I'm this incredible athlete and I'm super tough, right? But the problem is, is you're doing all this unnecessary damage to your body. That's what I told the guy last night. And when I went, when I went to runs back in the day, right, I was a typical mixed martial art mentality, right? Right. Uh, at the amateur level, right. not professional. This is not a dig on the UFC or any yeah. major organization. I'm specifically talking about local backyard MMA operations, right? Things that probably shouldn't be at the level that they are. You are going out there and you're competing and you're damaging your body and you're doing all this excessive wear and tear for no reward. You can't even pay, like that guy, you can't even pay for a decent training camp. You wanted, uh, what, $500 for a six week camp? That's five classes over six weeks. I'm not even going to entertain that under $3,000. That's too much of a time commitment. Right. And so, but then you got to ask yourself, well, what price point do you have to be to where you can spend $3,000 on just your striking coach? Well, now you're fighting for some serious money. You should have the skills to do that. Because mm-hmm. why do you want to wait until you get there? What are you going to do? You're going to get there. You got a thirty-five, dollars $40,000 yeah. fight on the table. Then you're going to walk in the room and I'm going to tell you, I can't help you. Right. We got to start all over. You know, what the hell is that you're doing? I don't know. That that kid was throwing a technique last night. I stopped him in the middle of shadow boxing. He was throwing a front kick technique. And I couldn't recognize it. And I'm pretty versed. I know karate. I know Kyokushin karate. Uh, I know taekwondo. I've seen front kicks from Wing Chun and, and Kung Fu. I can recognize most techniques, even if it's not something that I do. Right. I couldn't figure out what the hell was happening. And so I stopped the guy and I walked over to him and I asked him, I said, what is this front technique you're throwing is a front kick and i was like oh okay well it's more like a flip kick and i said okay i said so where are you aiming at the jaw and i was like you should raise that up about a foot and a half you know uncompletely unrecognizable technique like how do i work with that other than like okay you got to fight in six weeks why don't we just relearn how to throw front kicks today you know i mean what a ridiculous problem (laughs) and that's what i told him too like look you guys are to the point now where i can't i'm not going to teach you anything new i'm not going to try to teach you anything new i can give you sweat and hard work but that's it that's all i can give you for this fight camp i can't give you anything else you can maybe add timing maybe some distance management yeah, nice. Maybe a handful of techniques, but nothing that's going to make a significant difference. Change. Yeah, there's nothing you're going to learn in six weeks. The odds of any of that even that, coming into play. Yeah, and the odds of, like, I hate to say it like this, but the odds of most people who think that they're a hot shot putting in the real work to learn something is low. Well, you know, and that and, goes back That goes back to, like, what I was saying when um, when Ron used to tell me that. I go in there at Ron's, man. I go in there banging it out, throwing hard with people because, you know, that's the big thing around. So nobody spars over 50%, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm going in there throwing 80, 90%, trying to take people's heads off, right? And so I get set down in the corner like a little kid, like in timeout, right? <laughs> so here I am in timeout, and Ron would always make the same statement to me. He goes, you know why you got to be good? And I'd say, no, because so you don't have to be tough. You know, toughness is something that you have at the end of your rope right. when you have nothing left. Toughness is not what you start with. Right. I'm a tough guy, but I would much rather not get hit. <laughs> no, I totally 100% agree. Like, and that's a hard thing to, to one, put into a person who's 20 years old, who doesn't know what it's actually like to be hurt or injured or, re, like, he hasn't, he hasn't felt like he's mortal yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, do, 
I know 21's a long time ago. Oh, I get you, it. You know, I was invincible. Like, invincible. And he feels invincible. But after talking to the fighter specifically, he seems to have a good shoulder. A good head on his shoulders. I'll give him a shot if you want. I said, look, here's your monthly. Come yeah. train for a year on a regular basis, just like anybody else here. We can put some intention into, like, hey, you want to fight MMA? Here's some MMA technique. You, I will give you that during class, like I do anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, when we're talking, like, if you are doing MMA, here's how you would apply this MMA when I, I'm teaching my regular jiu-jitsu technique. Right. I will give you that. I will come train, and then in a year, let's revisit this I want to fight shit. Absolutely, and then in a year you have a well-developed, skilled fighter who also has a great set of physical attributes who's going to go in there and perform well right. and then actually have a chance of getting to the UFC. And who has a relationship with me and knows that, one, I, I, ha- I have their best interests in mind. I'm actually here for them. They're gonna, I can build something for them. Say, this is what I see you're good at. Let's double down. Right. This is what you're bad at. Let's fix that. Right. You know, that's, and not to not be able to have the time to see, like, where you're really bad, where you're really good. I don't have no idea where to say, hey, you need to double down here, and you need to fucking fix this shit right now. Right. And even to be able to say you need to fix this shit right now, doesn't mean, like... What if it doesn't happen in the fight? fight. Yeah, Yeah, you know, like... like, And then what if it does? Right. You know, like, and then when it does, it's, it's not playtime in the gym where you're getting to work out of it. It's, oh no, this guy's trying to hurt me, mm-hmm. and I'm in this position where I know I'm bad. That's And then that's when you got to be tough. Right. Right? And that's, so let's avoid those positions. You know, how many times do you got to get your back taken before you realize, like, maybe I should stop, I should learn how to not get my back taken. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I should look at this. Well, I think, you know, for the general audience, I want to clarify at least my position on some things, and hopefully you guys can can get some of this too, but... There's a real misconception out there between fighting and martial arts mm-hmm. or training for martial arts and fighting. Even though mm-hmm. they're synonymous and they go together, they're not one and the same. Fights are unpredictable. Right. Anybody can win a fight. I can take an tr- untrained guy off the street who throws a lucky punch, catches you, and you go to sleep. Shit happens. Fighting is really nothing more than a sp- competitive environment or a sport in a moment in time. It all comes down to who your opponent is, what their physical attributes are, what their skill sets are, how they match up to yours, what your competencies are, and how well you enact your game plan. And if you don't make a mistake or you don't just get flat out unlucky, sometimes just unlucky shit happens. Yeah. And or the, they just did their game plan perfect. Yeah, there's so many people out there that are so focused on the win mm-hmm. and not focused on just doing everything they can to avoid the possibilities of there not being a win, mm-hmm. right? Just a li- control the controllables. Take that stuff off the table mm-hmm. and just do what you do as best as you can, and then you're most likely going to come out with the win, mm-hmm. right? The fighter that can put his game plan into play is the one that's going to work, right? And I, I don't know. It's it's like when he when he looked at the footwork that I was using, and he goes, "Well, that doesn't work in the the and that won't work in mixed martial arts." It's like. 
how, how are you going to look at coaches who train professional mixed martial artists and then tell them that doesn't work? How do you look at a fighter like Cowboy Cerrone, who's got impeccable Muay Thai, and when he switches to his boxing, his boxing footwork is perfect, and when he transitions back and he goes to grappling, he has black belt in jiu-jitsu. Like, okay, that's what every fighter should inspire to be. Yeah, he may not have the winningest record because that's fighting, Right. But nobody can deny that he's not a fantastic fighter and a super tough human. Period. 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 That's what I want to be. That's what I inspire to be. That's what every mixed martial artist should inspire to be. And these guys out there that are doing that, I don't care if you're, if what background, I don't care if you're a Taekwondo guy, if you're a Kung Fu guy, I don't care if you come in there with capoeira. But you should execute it perfectly when or necessary. Aspire. Or aspire to, to. do it perfectly. Because perfect is in a in a real world situation is not a real thing, but it can be almost. Well, that's it could be just. It could be so perfect that it worked, right? Right. Well, that's you know, and that's the thing that people don't get is when it comes down to styles, people get so stuck in this style and they don't understand that really all it is is about the application of the technique. I'm a Muay Thai artist. If I throw a jab, I'm throwing a boxing jab. I'm throwing to throw the very best boxing jab that I can throw. Damn, Muay Thai be damned, right? Right. I want that technique to be right. If I throw a sidekick or if I throw a Taekwondo technique, I want that to be a fundamentally correct technique that is applicable, right? It's my job as the fighter to make it work. Mm -hmm. So I need to know what, what series of events, what setups, how do I set this technique right. up? But when I unleash that technique, it should be a fundamentally disciplined strike, regardless of its discipline. And you could use as many disciplines as you want. You could, every martial art on earth, as far as I care, as long as the application is correct. When you start watering down the application, you are just fighting now. Now right. you're just wrestling. You're, you're, you're in a match against someone. You're not doing a, an art. Right. Right? You want to use that to segue into your... Oh, absolutely. I'll let you finish this. I'm plenty high. All right. So, guys, I want you to go with me on a short sermon. It's going to be my first one for you all. But I had a conversation with my kids. I've been going through... Wait, uh, how many sermons have you ever given? A lot. A lot? Well, one... Like for your oh. reverending... Okay, we should we should talk Jesus we should talk about or that. Sermons about life or just uh, what you would call a sermon. You know? Oh, I think all the above. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I was in seminary for a minute. So I've been on stage giving my share of religious sermons. Um and so uh yeah, that's that's something I have done. A limited experience with that though. You know, I've only done that a handful of times. Um I've been a college professor since 2016. So lecturing in front of students and holding symposiums and things like that is pretty normal. Um, been at my business, I've been speaking in front of people since 2004, you know, in some type of management. high school in 2005. <laughs> yeah, so some type of management position. Uh, and then I had my public speaking company, which I still have. It's just been inactive for a few years. But from uh, 2015 through 2018, uh, it was a relatively active company, and so I was doing uh, about, uh, you know, somewhere between like, uh, depending on the year, you know, five to five to, to ten uh, school visits and things like that. So 
I've done quite a bit of lecturing. That's something like we should uh, shelf, and I'd like to talk to you about off air. Uh, okay, yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, but go ahead, jump in. Sorry. All right, so. I've been going through a lot of personal growth lately, and in the last two months, I have had two major paradigm shifts that have completely changed how who I am as a person and how I view the world and interact with my environment. And I realized the other day when I was talking to my kids, there's a part of this that is deeply personal and emotional. and. I realized that this is something that I wanted to give to my kids because unfortunately I had painted the wrong picture for them for most of their lives. All right. So without further ado, we're just going to go ahead and segue into this. The two things that I'm going to talk about is self-talk and competition, right? So one thing that um, I think that I didn't understand enough in my life is how important self-talk is, right? The way that we talk to ourselves, whether it, whether it comes down to our internal voice or our cultural narratives that we like to put in, we form our belief structure based on the feedback that we get with ourselves. Mm -hmm. So if that feedback is perverted or if that feedback is wrong in some way, then we're responsible for creating our own negative narrative. Right? So self-talk really feeds into that. And the biggest problem that we have is culture. Okay? I want to get into competition because I think this is the root of the problem. When we, the culture that we live in, we have the famous quote, second place is the first loser. Right? right. How fucked up is that? Like, really stop and think about that. I know that we use things to motivate us or whatever, but there's nothing rational in that statement. The reality is, the rational thing is, second place is the second best. That is the person that put in all the work. That is the person that did just as much as the winner, but at the end of the day was outmatched or didn't achieve victory. That was the only thing that didn't happen. Everything else, he's probably indistinguishable from the winner. But we've created this narrative in society that's like, if you were second, if you're not first, you're if last. If you're not first, you're last. You're nothing. You're shit. And this goes into everything, right? And so the problem that we have is we're not just competing with a, a person in a sport. We're competing in life against everything, mm -hmm. right? We have found a way to compare ourselves. We compare our skills, our physical attributes, what do we look like, our financial status, our class status, what social class do you belong to, what kind of house do you live in, right? All the way down to... Uh, sports, we compete, we find even more ways. So not only are we not competing enough in our day-to-day -day world, right? Now we got to find other ways to be competitive. And so we further competitive on that shelf. And then last, and I'm going to touch on this a little bit in this, what do we do? We compete sexually, right? And this is a big hang-up for a lot of people, but we compete in every aspect of our life. So this is a 24-7 competition and we, we are comparing ourselves to everyone else. Now, that doesn't do a lot of good for you if you've adopted a bad internal voice because that cultural narrative has become your internal voice. Mm -hmm. Everything that you say to yourself is going to be, well, you know what? I could be a little better looking. I could be a little thinner. 
you know what, if only I was a little stronger, if only I had more money, if only I had this, if only I had that, then all of a sudden your competition becomes the internal voice that limits your world and your ability. And now you've created this box that you've placed yourself in voluntarily through the influence of others by never challenging that cultural narrative. And this is where you're living your life. And the problem with this is that most people in society have a negative self-view, right? And I would say that's the majority. Everybody has adopted this internal voice that is relatively negative and they're living their life this way. And this core problem, I'm gonna hopefully expose how this becomes a larger problem, okay? The larger problem is that when you have self-hate, it creates this negative feedback loop that occurs, right? If I don't like myself, or if I don't like something about myself, then I'm going to start to spiral on that thought. And then I'm gonna feel bad. And then when I feel bad, I'm going to in react and interact with people around me, and then I'm gonna make them feel bad. And then that's going to in turn make them feel bad, and they're gonna make the people around them feel bad, which is going to interact with you. And now we've created this internal self-feeding issue of self-hate and negativity that all started with one person you right <laughs> and that is something that i think that uh hopefully we can start to recognize because one of the things that i used to uh teach on uh one of the marketing classes that i gave we talked about public sphere and influence right and this is some interesting so from the uh, national center of biotechnology uh, they did studies with this biotech looking at what kind of touch points people had on a regular basis when they're developing some of these apps and other types of, of things. So what they're looking for is they're trying to see is how many interactions do people have on a regular basis and how are those social interactions impacting the technology that we're using. Based on this study, they said that m the average person has 12 interactions a day. That's 12 social interactions. That includes family, friends, social. Okay, so social being anyone outside in your peripheral sphere, mm -hmm. right? And if you think about that, that's 4,380 people a year, right? In a decade, that's 43,000 people a decade that you interact with personally. If I told you, Eric, tomorrow I'm going to put you in a room and you're going to get the opportunity to talk to 4,000 people, that's going that you're going to have the opportunity to change their lives tomorrow. Would you feel responsible for that? Absolutely. That'd be a weight, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But you don't think about it at all in your day-to-day -day life. I mean, you do. <laughs> you do, but most but people yeah, don't, I know right? Yeah. Most people don't. We don't think about those minor interactions. That's one of the things that people get hung up on, especially people that aren't committed to self-growth or have a uh, ability to reflect right mm -hmm. they always wonder like oh I can't believe this person thinks I'm a terrible person well here's the problem that, that individuals don't realize is my interaction with that person at that moment in time is their only knowledge of who I am their only experience if I was a complete asshole then they're gonna think I'm a complete asshole does that make me a complete asshole in that moment it did Right. The nicest person has the capable of being the worst person at any given most point in time. 
And that goes in reverse, right? You can be a terrible human. I could be a serial killer. Drive down the road, somebody gets in a car accident, pull off to the side of the road, save the life of everybody in that car, and be a good Samaritan and a hero. In that moment, was I a good person? Absolutely. Is that reflective of who I am as a whole? Absolutely not. So when you start to realize that we have all of these touch points, then you can start to realize the gravity of the situation. If we have this negative self-feeding loop and we're feeding 4,000 people a year in our environment negativity and it's being returned on us, we're creating a rainfall of negative shit on our lives. That starts with one thing. Uh, Me. You. Them. Mm -hmm. Right? We all have a certain level of responsibility for that. And I think the part that, the reason why I wanted to talk to people about this, and the reason I talked about, I wanted to talk to kids about this is because this was the big epiphany for me. Home. Right? I don't think I understood what home meant until about two months ago. And then I realized, once I understood what it meant, I, I thought, how fucked up is it how we treat it? Right? Because in the cultural narrative is this, blood is thicker than water. I can treat my family however I want. Mm -hmm. They're going to take it. What does that translate into? That translates into a husband and a wife that treats each other the worst than they do anyone else. That translates into moms and dads that shit on their children. That creates a terrible home environment. According to that study... 45% of our interactions are with family. Almost half. And this is who we've said it's okay to be our worst self to? We've given ourselves full permission just to shit all over those people. You marry a woman, you say, I'm going to be with you for the rest of my life, I'm going to commit to you. And you come home and you call her a bitch, and you tell her to get in the kitchen and make you a sandwich, and you put your feet up and you don't do your laundry. Is that how you treat somebody that you say you love? Right? Yeah. But we have culturally made that acceptable. That is a perfectly acceptable view in our society. Mm-hmm. But if you don't challenge it, you don't know. But that becomes your internal voice. You believe it now. So it's okay. Mm-hmm. When we walk out into the world, if all that negativity is out there, if everybody is living in these feedback loops, our only protection to that environment our force field is our home when I come back home and I walk through the door and my family's here my partner, my children this is my safe space this is where I shed off negative energy I recharge for my day I hit the world, I go back out I'm good if I can't do that then I come out into the world and I carry all of this negative shit And then I bring it home, and then I unleash all of this negative shit on my family. Then I receive a bunch of more negative shit, and then I walk out and I do it again. Mm -hmm. And then you live your life that way, and you wonder, why am I not happy? Why am I so miserable? Why does the world suck? Why does all the people suck? Why can't I trust nobody? How come I have no friends? Why do my kids hate me? Right? That is the world that we live in. If you realize that that home becomes important, if I can say the person that I have the most responsibility to is my family, so that I treat them better than anyone else, I got to protect that. 
then wait a minute, who's my home? Me. I become home. And now my, the importance of me protecting my home becomes the start for the feedback loom for the other home. My home, my, my wife and my kids and my family, they can't maintain that level of positivity if there's a negative person in the environment. One negative person will disrupt that whole loop. That puts a responsibility and an awareness on you when you go, wow, shit. Now we really got to examine our self-view because we're fucking home up. And now I'm going to keep living in this world of shit, right? So the, the point of that was hopefully to kind of like shape the problem and to build a little bit of importance um, of why you have to take responsibility for your self-view. One, hopefully we understand what the self-view is. We understood how it was created. We understood how it gets adopted into our ideologies and our beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then we got to realize, though, but ultimately we are responsible for that self-view. We are the ones that say, I'm going to adopt that or I'm not. Right? That's our job. Right. This brings me to my other paradigm shift. And then my other paradigm shift is going to bring us into how I'm going to put these two things together. Okay? My other paradigm shift occurred here recently along the same lines of this conversation, but it had to deal with competition. And I'd really been pushing myself lately because of this realization that my morals and my belief system is not possibly my own. I've been challenging everything that I think I believe. So if I hear something and it makes me react negatively or I have anxiety, I will sit in that moment and I will see it out and I will rationalize it and then I will ask myself, do I actually think that this is wrong? Am I behaving accordingly based on the situation? Or did I have a physical reaction to something for no reason? And then I can sit in it and I can make that decision, right? And by doing so, I started exploring a lot of areas of competition. I have been a very insecure, low self-esteem individual most of my life, right? Like 41 years, eight months of it. So like up until like three months ago, right? And um, what, what I was doing was, is I was constantly comparing myself to others. Everything was a competition. All those things that we listed before everything from the way I dress to the way I talk to the way I act to the degrees to the to the everything right you name it and then it dawned on me as I was putting together uh, I was doing some consulting consulting work that you're aware of and I was looking at the relationship of an organization and I realized that you know what we do in organizations we seek for compliments Right? If I'm a manager and I'm hiring at a company, I don't want to hire a duplicate of me. In fact, ultimately, if I'm a good manager, what I want to do is I want to find someone who is really strong in areas that I am super weak, who is good in areas that I am very strong, so that we have some joint complement, and then I want to be super strong in areas that they are weak, so that together we increase our influence. Right. So now we become a power couple, right? right? 
And that exponentially multiplies when you look at organizations because you can build complement chains and it goes out. And then I realized, wait, why is this a perfectly acceptable concept in the business world, but not something that we do in our lives? We don't seek compliments, we seek competition. The reality is nobody has a, com nobody has a competition to me. I bring, the best quote I've heard on this is, everybody has their own unique set of qualities. That is your core competencies, your attributes. What, how tall you are, how strong you are, how athletic you are, how kind you are, how smart you are, what your personality is like, you know, are you good in bed, are you not good in bed, can you shoot a gun, can you fight, right? All of these things are your attributes. You're going to be good at some things and you're not. But if you just look at yourself from an attribute standpoint, you'll realize that you actually do have quite a few decent attributes, mm. right? Absolutely. And then you're going to look for people or should look for people who complement those attributes, who provide things that you don't provide, who complement things that you do and who are weak in things that you're not. You should seek that in your relationships with your partners, right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the things that uh, Michelle and I have done really well. We have a very complementary relationship and it allows us together to be able to perform way more than we could individually, right? You should seek that with your friendships, me and you have a very complementary relationship. Same thing with Sam. That's why we're the three motherfuckers, right? We all bring unique qualities to the table that together are amplified or just our weaknesses are eliminated. Right. Right? I don't have any worry about weaknesses that I have because I know somebody at the table is going to be able to fill that gap in. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So when you think about that way, that changes how you look at everything. I don't have to be the most attractive guy in the room. I just have to be the most attractive version of me. I don't need to be the tallest. I don't need to be the biggest, the strongest. I don't need to have the biggest dick. It really doesn't matter. At the end of the day, that guy who has a bigger dick than me may be missing all of those other attributes that I bring to the table and what does he really have left? We fixate on these things that we don't have to create these huge gaps in our own mind Comparing ourselves against something that we have no control over. I can't be taller. I, I can't be black, Hispanic, can't wake up tomorrow and be a woman. There are certain things that are just outside of my control. Why the fuck would I worry about those? That doesn't make any sense, does it? Why would I worry about something that I physically can't control? If the guy next to me is six foot two and I'm five foot eight. I have zero worry about him being six foot two. I can't be six foot two. If if Michelle thinks he's attractive because he's six foot two, good. That's a compliment. He's providing something that I can't. Why would I worry about that? I'm not competing against it because that's not part of my experience. I don't have to worry about other people's experiences if I'm taking care of my own. Right? It changes how you look at everything. Your social status, your skills, your abilities, your partner, your jealousy. Right? You realize, like, why the fuck am I still jealous? Don't have to be. Not if I'm taking care of my shit. Right? Everybody has an individual experience. And my experience can't be replicated. 
me and you are sitting here having this conversation. You can sit down and have this conversation with Sam. You'll never have the same conversation. Right. You'll never have the same experience. Right? So let's translate that. I'm going to go sexually because I think that's the most challenging for people. But if someone else was to have sex with my partner, that's not the same experience as me. It's not. Now, there may be other things happening, violation, boundaries, whatever, you know, other people's individual belief systems. But the idea of competition in that environment is not there. I don't care what the physical attributes are. They're not mine. I can't change mine. I don't care what his experience is because he's not me. He won't have the same interactions, the same movements, the same whatever. Better or worse, doesn't matter. If it's better... Great. Compliments. Good for you. Maybe I can learn something. Teach me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I'll take a lesson. Why? Because I want to get better. I want my experience to get better. Right? Yeah. And if you're truly committed to the people around you, you should want the same thing for them. So this translates into even the deepest parts, the hardest parts to get through. Right? If it can break through the sexuality barrier, how easy is it to break through everything else? Are you really going to care if that person had a car that you can't afford? You really care if that guy did something or that guy was just a little better at jujitsu than you? No, you're going to do the same thing, aren't you? What do we do when somebody's better than us? Hey, what'd you do? <laughs> Show me that shit, right? Yeah. How'd you get out of that? Choke, choke me out yeah. again. I want to figure that out, yeah. right? So, this, you should seek compliments. And, that is a big epiphany for me because that challenged a lot of paradigm shifts when I was comp competing against everyone and everything all the time. And then it frees you, right? Once you break that paradigm shift, that frees you to really be able to kind of look at yourself, mm -hmm. look at the world around you, and kind of reshape that narrative. Right. All right. So, so that brings me to this, this last part, right? How are we going to put this together? All right. The biggest thing that I really wanted to drive home with this is we talked about how important home was earlier. You owe it to yourself to be happy. Like, honestly, we all have like but one life to live. We live on this planet, one go around that we know of, right? Unless we're being reincarnated or something. Nothing's off the table. Um, but you're making a day-to-day 24-hour, seven-day-a-week decision to choose your state of mind. Your experience on this planet, on life, however long it is, is truly your choice. You owe it to yourself to choose to be happy. Right. If not, you are committing an act of self-torture deliberately. Forever. Right? Right. And that brings me to the part you know, we will we will find what we seek. And that is something that I don't think I understood. Mm. I don't think I understood well enough. If you seek shit, you're going to find it. Right? I've been spending the last couple of months trying to seek out joy, happiness, love. Right? Things that matter. Because that other shit doesn't. That other shit doesn't matter, right? If you seek out shit, you're going to find it. Mm -hmm. 
And when you're in this negative self-feeding loop of self-hate, then you can't get out of it. And you're constantly finding that hate, you know? And that's what I tried to explain to my kids. It's like, look, the reason why really try to do this without getting emotional. Um, this hurts. I spent 40 years of my life inflicting a pain on myself greater than anything, than anyone ever. I didn't realize the trauma. I had no clue. You know, I think about PTSD and all this other shit. The shit I did to myself was fucked up. And 40 years of my life has been stuck in this self-feeding loop of pain and trauma and torture for no reason. Just to do it. And when I had that epiphany, it hit me so hard because I thought, as bad as I hurt, how could I not give that to somebody else? If I could change that, you know, it's, I can't be the only one. I just can't. And I didn't want that for my kids. And here's the problem. I was their dad their whole lives. That guy. That's all they've seen. They've seen the negativity. They've seen the shitty self-talk. They've seen the dad's fat in the mirror. They heard it all. And then I look at them now, 16 years old, and they're wearing it. I can't tell them no because it's what I was doing. They're just being me. And it hit me so hard because like, i got to stop that. I'm responsible for that. I just ruined their lives. I don't care what they achieve, what they do. I don't care how great their lives look from the outside. If that's their internal voice, their lives is over. And if you're out there and you're hearing that, let that sink in. How many years of your life have you lived that way? Have you done that to yourself for no reason? Because you made choices to believe what people were telling you and you didn't challenge it. Because you made a decision to buy into some narrative. Because you decided to compare yourself. Because you decided to be mean to yourself. And then, now, however much hate and pain that is, you just put that on everyone in your life. Eternally. You've been doing that for 20 years? That's 80,000 people you fucking shit on. And 45% of that time, it was your family. Like, that's a big deal, man. And one of the things that I just want to really challenge people is just don't do that shit to yourself. You can love yourself. And if you love yourself, you're going to be able to love others more deeply. One of the things that I think people really misunderstand and one of the, one that's really wrong with all love or at least the cultural narrative of love is 
we want everybody to love us and they want everybody to love our faults. But we don't love ourselves. How can I expect that? You know, my ex-wife used to say something and it really hit home. She used to say, loving you is exhausting. And you said, tell me about it. Yeah, yep. tell me about it. Yeah, how do you think it is for me? That's what I used to say to her. How do you think it is to be me? Right? I can't imagine the pain that I put that woman through. Right? Now think about that. I, I'm the one that initiated the divorce. Here I am. But I could still admit that for 15 to 17 years of our relationship, I was a shitty fucking dude. And I shit on her to a point that exhausted her. Because of my self-view. Nothing to do with interactions. Had everything to do with how I felt inside. How I woke up every day. Right? I think the point that I want to make here is reshape your self-view and stop lying to yourself. And I'm going to take that into a different direction than I think a lot of people are expecting, but I'm going to say stop lying to yourself because here's one of the telltale signs. If you're a liar, you have low self-esteem. You have a shitty self-view. I used to lie all the time. I lied. I have told so many lies in my life, Eric that I have memories that I don't know whether they're real or fake. Because I've just lied so much, I've just made myself believe them. Right? And when you think about that, I had an epiphany one day years ago. I just made a commitment to myself that if my stories weren't big enough, I'd just make bigger stories. If I felt the need to lie about something, I would check mark that and I'd go, you know, I need to go do that. If that was the story I wanted to tell, maybe I should just go fucking do it. And that worked a lot better. Now people think I'm lying, but I'm not. And so those are those things I think is there, you know, challenge that cultural narrative. And um, one thing that I think that, that, that goes with this too that, that'll help. And, and this is, this is going to be my wrap-up on this. You have to change how you look at yourself, how you have to look at being a human. We are all miracles. Every single one of us. And this is something that, this is something that everybody's guilty of. You ever look at a tree or nature and think, man, that's beautiful? What is it that we love about nature? It's because we're part of it. Well, we're, that's true. But what else? It's it's natural, right? It grows on its own. It's it's untouched by its environment. It, it we, we, we recognize it for its uniqueness, right? That's what we like about a tree. No two branches are the same, right? Right. Snowflake, same thing. But we are all just as miraculous as everything that's in the world. We are part of nature. I think one of the big things that the cultural narrative has done, especially in modern society, and the more that we become technologically integrated, the deeper this becomes. We've ridded, we've taken away the animal from humanity. We have somehow tried to convince people that they're no longer animals, and we've somehow made being an animal a dirty word. And I don't understand that. If I can look at a tiger and I can think, damn, that thing's amazing. Why couldn't I look at myself with the same awe? Am I not just as special as that tiger? 
What is it about that tiger that makes him any more unique than me? In fact, the last time I checked, we're the ones that were smart enough to put the tiger in the cage. That makes us pretty damn impressive. I don't see any other planet animals on the planet launching rockets into space or conquering almost every environment on Earth. We do. I mean, we're fucking awesome. Like, actually. And every one of us are. Every little minor unique difference is just what makes everyone themselves. That's, that's the compliments of it all. That's the beauty in it. You know, if you've seen a tree and the tree was all fucked up and deformed and it was all crazy, but it had a nice little eerie look, do you look at that tree and go, damn, that's an ugly tree? You think, eh, it's actually really cool. It's uniqueness makes it even cooler, right? Why are people not the same way? Somebody has too big of a nose or they have something on their facial features or something about their body that just isn't right and that somehow makes them a freak? Mm -hmm. Why can't that be their unique quality? Right? You know, something I know you're deeply connected to, but like autism, right? I, I used to take this uh, this kid that he had, uh, uh, not autism, what's the other one? Uh, uh, starts with an A. Uh, Asperger's. Asperger's. Yeah. He had Asperger's, right? Used to, I, taught, I used to take him hunting. And his dad was like, you can hunt my property if you take him hunting. And I thought, great, you know, and at first I had no experience with special needs people, so this was a, like, wrong person for the job. And uh, I took that kid hunting uh, pretty much for about three years. You know, by the time I was done, I taught him how to shoot a bow. And I show up at his house one day, and he's outside with a recurve, and he's shooting a recurve at this target. And I look at him, and I say, Philip, so what are you doing? He goes, oh, I got a recurve. And I say, why would you get a recurve? He goes, that compound just got too easy. This kid was out shooting me with a recurve bow that he had picked up on his own and just kind of figured it out. You know, and we have no appreciation for this. We think that this somehow is a handicap. No, it's, it's a super amplification in a unique quality, right? And I think people need to just reflect and change how they're viewing themselves. Start feeling special. Because you are. Stop comparing yourself to others because you don't have to. Seek out compliments. Look to compliment your life and change your self-view. How you talk to yourself is everything. And this is the end and this is where it's going to segue into you and why I wanted to have this conversation with you is because your internal voice becomes your manifest. If we find what we seek, then we should be able to speak and or think our way into the things that we want. Mm -hmm. Because we will find them. We will find the opportunities that lead us there. And so, you know, that's kind of that's kind of my wrap up on it, man. I just I want people to understand how important self view is and self talk. In that they have to start countering that negative voice, man. That negative voice comes in, and I know it's just like everybody else. It's that worst-case scenario. But you got to stop every now and then. you got to say, what if? What if that don't happen? What if everything goes great? And the more you start challenging it, the more the narrative will change on its own. When I first started doing this, um, I did two things. One, I started challenging my inner voice, and two, I started smiling. Right? I'd find myself in moments where I wouldn't feel good or I'd feel sad or I'd start to have a negative thought and I'd force myself to smile. Seems stupid at the beginning, but 
But I realize from business that we smile when we're on the phone. I smile when I talk, when I'm giving presentations. I smile if I'm going to talk for a podcast, right? Mm -hmm. Because it amplifies your voice. It amplifies your presence, right? Right. And if it will do that, then theoretically, I, I thought, well, it should be able to do that for my mood, right? So I started doing that, and then I started challenging that internal voice. And at the beginning, it was difficult. But I'm finally getting to a point now where I'm about two, maybe three months down the road with it, that, you know, that little voice will come up, and that anxiety will hit, and it shrugs off so fast. And I almost laugh at it. It's almost funny now. Because I'm like, I remember when that wrecked my life. And it doesn't. Not anymore. And it's a freedom. I really feel like, I was telling Michelle the other day, I feel like I was reborn. Like, I think that this, this particular journey that I'm on, it's, it follows religion so closely. The spiritual foundations, right? It really feels like a spiritual rebirth more significant than anything I've experienced in a lot of ways so anyway thank you guys for carrying with me on that I know that that was a long little rant but hopefully you guys took something from that I'll tell you what we haven't been getting a lot of feedbacks yet um, if you guys want to start giving your feedback in the comments we'd love to start conversations with you you can give us ideas for future podcasts, give us some things to talk about, challenge some of our views. I'd love to engage you in conversation. Absolutely, for sure. And make sure to share this with your friends. We can't be the only stone people you're out here listening to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but to think how beautiful it is for your children to see the rebirth. How intricately amazing it is for their development as humans right that they can see their father they can literally grew with the transformation and they can go okay you know speaking as a child from a personal experience where I've seen the transformation of a father where I was I honestly pretty much wrote him off to be honest. Yeah. Pretty much wrote him off. And then to come back home one day and my entire family say, no, it's dad's back. Dad's back. And it's, it's crazy. It's weird. It's hard to trust, mm. but it's, you can trust it. And right. to my entire family to say that, sure. Mm. Of course he's so, you know, he has these things and these like, his quirks and his uniqueness but to see the turnaround as a son to go you can come back right. you can go dark you can go deep you can go wherever you went like fuck you could hit rock bottom you can be on a medical table almost dead and say I'm done yep and turn it around and come back and be paw paw to my kids mm-hmm. like that is something so powerful. Right. right. To speak from experience for your children, right, to be able to watch it come around as a child. Right. I did it as an adult. I already had a life, already had children. Already, right. You know, I can say that my experiences through that 
made me a better father. And then to see, like, oh, I can still get better. You know, I have my shit. And then to see the people who've been in the deepest, darkest parts, one, fail, and then two, are able to get out. There right. is a there is a chance. Yeah, it's never over. It's never over. It's never over. Not if you're committed and to, to self-growth. And to fucking bring that shit back. To bring it back? Mm-hmm. Like, what a, like, what a turnaround. What a comeback. Like, that's, like, a thing of the century to be celebrated. Right. right? Like... Well, I think, you know, I, the, the thing I was thinking about is something that I've been talking about a lot lately is past experience. We like to judge people for past experience, right? If somebody was to look at me and say they wanted to grab uh, examples of my relationship, right? So I've been divorced twice. So you can pick one. <laughs> I'm guilty in both. But if you wanted to pick relationships and you want to pick a moment out and say, hey, remember when you did this? Remember when you did that? You said this. You said that. You Whatever. I don't care how bad that is within reason. Like, you know, there are things like child molestation and rape and murder. I get that. But that has no bearing on who I am today. None. If I meet you today, you cannot judge me based on my past experiences. We can't judge others on that. Now, the other side of that that I want to mention is you, the individual, your responsibility is to be consistent in your change. You don't verbalize it. I think one of my biggest pet peeves and things that I've learned is I stop telling people I'm going to do things. Because that means nothing. Yeah. What, what, you don't care what I say. I could tell you I'm going to come to jujitsu until I'm blue in the face. Until I show up consistently for long enough, you're not going to believe me. Absolutely. It's not, it's not going to matter. And that matter. goes with anything in life. And look, if you're the one coming back from this shit then you need to accept that too because you shouldn't expect somebody to accept you right away. You just need to be consistent. Even if you're not getting the attaboys, even if you're not getting the props, you just got to be consistent. Because given enough time, consistency will tell the truth. Actions truly do speak louder than words. 100%. And, you know, I've seen that with my kids. That's what I've done. It's just maintain consistency. I don't care what I've said. Just maintain consistency. And eventually they will come to you. Mm -hmm. They're going to want to know. You know, my daughter cried through that conversation. I can only imagine the voices in her head. Yeah. Yeah. Because if you just think of the voices in your own head, because you might like, you can relate to most people in the world. Absolutely. And we, well, that's the thing, you know. I've been, uh, so I've been doing therapy, a new therapy about this uh, last three months which is honestly responsible for all of this transformation it, it, the, the ability to <clears throat> what I don't think people realize is that anxiety stress trauma all of the things that you need to mitigate and manage those things are applicable in all things in your life because you'll find out so I realized the core of my behavior the core of my anxiety is actually, uh, and, and this took a lot of like self-diving for me. This wasn't somebody, something that someone revealed for me. This was something I revealed for myself. But I realized that when I was a kid, I was a hypochondriac. And think about the implications of that. I had developed a personality trait young in life that allowed me to convince my mind 
that I was sick and then would create physical change, the non-SIBO effect, right? And it would create physical change to make me believe it. Now, if that core power can do that, now let's apply that to everything else in life. How much can my mind do? How many anxiety reactions, how many things can I trigger through stress, right? And the disservice that we've done to people <laughs> by letting them know that they are not animals yeah. is by being animals, this is actually a good thing. Just like I can train a dog to sit, I can reprogram my brain how to think. Right. I can reprogram my brain how to tell my body to react. I can actually stop fear from a situation given enough time and challenge because I can tell my brain I shouldn't be afraid. Yeah. And then eventually the anxiety will go away because my body will realize that my brain is no longer telling me that this is a threat. We are just biological animals, which means that techniques and training tips work. And when I realized that and I started doing it, I started doing the exercises, started using the weed, right? Use that to help change the neurological pathways because that's what I had. I had a bunch of bad pathways. I had to reprogram them. Mm -hmm. So I was using the weed daily use in conjunction with the therapy, in conjunction with the technique, sticking with the program. And then what I found out is I could reprogram these triggers. They're not permanent. Just because, you know, we do ourselves that disservice, well, that's just the way I am. I don't like that. That makes me feel icky. Ooh, I don't like it. You don't know if you don't like it. Some of the greatest things in life are just on the other side of that. Yeah. That shit you don't want to do most is probably the shit you're going to enjoy the most. That's how I got started fighting. I was doing, uh, I was doing karate, like, actually. Me, Gi, mm -hmm. green belt. I was in it, right? I'm doing karate horse stance, everything, right? And then uh, my college schedule changed and I had to show up at the gym the next day and they were like, well, they only did kickboxing, right? And I was like, fuck, man, I'm like 5'8". I did boxing in the army and it did not go well. And I was yeah. like, this is not going to be a good thing for me, right? And so I, I was so scared. I'm already afraid of conflict. It's terrified. But I had made this critical decision to go. Mm -hmm. To challenge it, to go just say, I'm going to just see. I'm going to go sit in that environment and see. Maybe I'll hate it. Maybe I'll be like, fuck that. I'm not going to do it again. But as soon as I did, I realized, mm -hmm. by the end of the first night, I was like, oh, shit, I love this. This is exactly what I needed. But it was on the other side of a very critical decision. And I think that that's something that we miss, too, is some of the smallest decisions that we make in life have the most dramatic impact. Some of the biggest decisions, think about decisions that you have stayed up nights, sleepless, that haven't changed your life at all. And then think back to that one decision, a, a fleeting moment in a parking lot, completely changed the entire course of your life, right? So we don't realize, and that goes back to that self-view and that interaction, if we're taking responsibility for our experience, then we can start to control that narrative too. We can make those engagements positive. We can make those decisions better. And now this influences everything. And then we're retraining our brain and we're relearning, right? You, know, you can't judge somebody. Yeah. And you can come back from anything. And it doesn't stop. There's no such thing as being too old. Self-improvement never ends. There's a technique to everything, no matter what it is. If you can find a technique, you can learn to do whatever it is you need to do. Well... You know, my commitment to all of this is 
And as I sit here today, I have never been more confident than I am right now. And I have been really checking myself with that because, you know, confidence can become arrogance. Mm -hmm. And so I've been really trying to, like, assess my core competencies. And I realized that, look, at the beginning it was challenging for me because my competencies are relatively lofty. And it felt bad. And it was weird. (laughs) Why does it feel bad? And I stop and think about it. It's like, wait a second. All right. So I'm telling myself that I'm being conceited by recognizing these attributes or these accomplishments. Mm -hmm. And then you have to stop and you go, but did you work for that? Did you put in the work? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you achieved what you set out to achieve by putting into the work. Yeah. Then why are you ashamed of that? Is, Is it not true? No, it's true. Then you have to recognize it. That is your competency. That's your quality now. You have to own that. Mm -hmm. And what it did for me is it gave me this really heavy heavy responsibility for shaping the very best experience that I can put together for me. Mm -hmm. I want to be the best version of me that I can possibly be. I want to challenge myself every time that I'm with someone to plus one that situation, add value to it create that experience if it's just a little thing because i realize now i'm ultimately responsible for that mm-hmm. and that gives me so much confidence in the experience that i'm giving and in all aspects in life it doesn't matter whether, whether it's business whether it's it's finances whether it's my partner you know we can come back to that like, let's say Somebody better than me shows up tomorrow and Michelle says, hey, fuck it, I'm out. This dude's a multimillionaire and I'm just going to go travel the world in the yacht, right? I can't blame her, <laughs> right? If, if I don't measure up, I don't measure up. I get it. Like, people are going to make choices. That has no bearing on who I am. That doesn't dink my qualities. That doesn't make me less. That just means that she found a better package. Great. I... I did 100% of what I could do. My experience was on point. And I constantly seek to improve it. Right. Period. Yeah. You know, that's what I tell her. She's like, I'm so big into physical looks. And one of the things I want to say to you uh, and thank you for it. I love the other day how mad you got when I called myself fat in the mirror. And wow, that may be the first time I've seen you mad. I was like, holy shit. I came home and told Michelle, I was like, Eric yelled at me. Yeah. I'll yell at you. Like, if anyone's going to talk shit to you, it's going to be me. Like, you don't get to shop talk shit to you. I talk shit to you. Like, if you want someone to do that, I'll do that. Right. But it's not going to be about how you look. It's not going to be about who you are. Mm -hmm. It's going to be about you ate shit on the mats. Right. You know, and that's how we're going to talk shit. You know, we'll find that you want competition, we'll have competition on the mats, right? Right. Competition is a natural human aspect of our life. Mm-hmm. And you're saying, like, we integrate it into our society. You know, it's designed for, like, this so gets deep into, like, consumerism and why we're so focused on these other things. Mm-hmm. But if you can separate it. Right. Say, this is where I'm competing if you have to have that competition, because it is a mm-hmm. natural human state, put it in this, put the competition in a box. Right. Put the competition in this 900 square foot mat 
mm-hmm. and say, was I better than that yesterday? Right. Right? Put the competition on you. And then you need somebody to fight against? A hundred bucks, we can go... There's a competition coming up in April in St. Louis. Let's go do it. Right. You need competition? We got. I got the answer. Right? Don't right. worry about... Don't worry about what I look like, what I'm doing. What are you doing? What are you right. like? You know, like don't worry about that stuff. Like, well, that's like you know, and that was the example I was going to give with um, with Michelle. It's like when we first got together, I was significantly different looking human than I am now. I was uh, 210, 215 pounds, overweight. Um, she still was attracted to me for all my other attributes, right? And you know, that's one of the things that you know I pursue aesthetics pretty heavily for me I want to be the best version of me right for her too I want to present the best package that I can I can control that experience right I can't sit there if, if I'm walking down the road and she goes over and you know the somebody that looks like the rock walks by and she checks him out I have no right to get jealous about that if I don't put together my package and then if I did put together my package, I still have no right to get jealous about it because I can't be the rock. But I'm my version, so what do I have to worry about? And as long as my partner accepts me and they want that, then my yeah. game is done. My game is done. So my pursuit of self-improvement, you know, I make a conscious effort. When, you know, when I first got with her, she was really into health and fitness and she's obviously a lot more attractive than me and a lot fitter than me. Um, at that point in my life. But, you know, I made a conscious decision to match that. I didn't want her to have to be unequally yoked like that. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be that fat guy that wasn't athletic that had a shitty diet and she had to cater to. It's like, no, I'm going to join you on that journey. Right. I'll become fit, too. Mm -hmm. I can become healthy, too. You'd be that sitcom couple. Exactly, you know? Yeah. So I decided to join her on that journey. Well, she's super into fashion. She puts a lot of effort into her wardrobe and her makeup and all of that stuff, right? I have a responsibility too, don't I? Mm -hmm. I need to put effort into my fashion. I Why would I let her go through hours of preparation to come look good for the herself, for the world, for me, and then me go take f five minutes and throw on some shit that I wore to work that day? I have a responsibility for that. I have a responsibility for the engagement to say communication, affection, Right? I have a responsibility for all of that. If I'm playing my cards and I'm giving her affection and I'm giving her love and attention and I'm taking care of myself and I'm putting my best package together and I'm taking care of my finances and I'm taking care of the family and I'm being a good father and I'm being a good partner and I'm doing all these other things, why the fuck, where do I have time to worry about anyone else? If you're worried about someone else, you need to ask yourself, like, what the fuck are you doing with your time, man? Maybe you should get your ass off the couch. Yeah. I've never seen a wife get mad at a man that was cleaning. Ever. Right? Put in some fucking effort. Relationships take effort. Yep. Life takes right. effort. Period. Period. So, I don't know. I think we should call it there. I think we should. I yeah. think I rambled enough today. Yeah. It was good. I'm gonna... I'll, but be, a good, I'll quiet down right. next episode. <laughs> no, this is good. It was... It's very, uh, you say, if you just, it's, you're hoping other people have that experience. I think what you're going through is such a truly relatable aspect to any person, period. And to ex be able to put that, to articulate that into 
a organized let's you know pick you up by your bootstraps kind of like it's gonna be alright there's a yeah. way out you can do it absolutely you know, seek happiness and success will follow absolutely you yeah know? that's the real thing is right you know don't seek aesthetics seek health don't you know don't seek richness or wealth seek happiness find joy find joy and all that you're doing and the success is going to follow absolutely you know and maybe maybe you need to look at how you define what success is right right absolutely man i appreciate it i love these times i know it was a good time all right guys we're gonna wrap this up make sure that you go ahead and click subscribe if you haven't done that remember we would love to have your feedback we would we would take suggestions for future podcast topics if there is anything that you would like to uh, hear coming up in the future but uh we will see you guys next friday and for the stone dates we are out peace